And our scripture lesson today, if you'll remain standing with me as we read it together, is from the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Let's share in God's good word together. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Bethsaida, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome back to The Art of Neighboring. If you're here with us for the first time, we want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And if you've been with us throughout this series, you know that we're actually at week five of this series. Uh, They're all online if you'd like to hear those. Uh, Brandon brought an excellent word uh, last week. Uh, Andy started us off wonderfully at week one. Um, And today, I want to talk about the art of setting Boundaries, Because one of the things that you'll find, uh, if you're like me, this is really hard for me. I'm on the struggle bus with this sermon series. Andy picked it. And so um, I'm kind of just struggling along with you. If you don't really uh, dig your neighbors all that well, I'm trying to learn how to do that. Um, but one of the things that happens, if, you, if you've actually engaged in this, like I've engaged in this, you're actually trying... Um, and, and so I do, I do want you to, to, to take these out, take these home, you can put it on your fridge, and you can actually write down the names of the people that live around you. We're doing everything we can to help you actually live out the great commandment of love your neighbor as yourself, but we can't do it for you. We can't do it for you any more than Jesus was about to pick up that man and throw him in the pool, right? That'd be abuse. He says to him, you get up, take your mat. And walk. And friends, we want you to take your magnet, write down the names, walk across the street, get to know your neighbor. Get to know your neighbor, really. Uh, it's been on the front of your bulletin uh, every week. It's been in your sermon notes. And now we're, we bought magnets for you. Come on. So we, we're really trying to do this. But as you do this, what you'll find out is what you have been afraid of all along. Your neighbors are weird. Because everybody's weird once you get to know them. Isn't that true? I mean, everybody's weird once you get to know them. And that's what your neighbors think about you. They're so weird, they came over uninvited. Okay, get over it. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. So as we've been going through this, the first thing that this is based on is what Jesus says, our master's commandment. Love God with everything you have and, and this was radical in his day because that was supposed to be it, and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Because as uh, the scriptures tell us, if you can't love your neighbor who you have seen, you can't love God who you have not. Isn't that true? You cannot say, I love God and hate your neighbor. It's not true. People may not believe what you say, but they will always believe what you do. Right? Your behaviors bear out what you really believe. So that was week one. Week two is this. Do I live at a pace that allows me to be available to those around me? Do we actually live at a pace and a peace that allows us to be in relationship? 
I think this is probably one of the, the largest uh, challenges in Edmund life, uh, in suburban life for sure. Uh, most of you live here because you work hard um, and you do well. You, you work at your work and then you come home and you raise the garage door up. You drive in exhausted and you raise the garage door down or you lower it down, hoping that your neighbors don't see you because you really don't want to talk to anybody because you're done. Am I, am I the only one that feels like that sometimes? You know? I mean, I just, you know, you're, you're peopled out by the end of the day. And that's why we took away front porches. Because we, we, are, we are intentionally isolating ourselves from our neighbors. And Jesus says, that's a dangerous game, friends. That's how you wind up old and alone. And all sorts of mental health issues with it. And we're beginning to see that. Uh, even with our little ones that are isolated. And this is just bearing itself out over and over and over and over again. And Jesus says, it doesn't have to be this way. I came that you might have life and have it how? Abundantly to the full. But that includes loving your neighbor. And you don't get there without it. You don't. These promises of God are for your betterment, for your joy, for your love. And what we find as we found Jesus working with the 5,000 is that God uses the small things we bring and he multiplies them into a miracle. So you may not feel like you have anything to offer your neighbor. You do. You do. In the parable of the talents, you'll notice, um, if you know that story, uh, that there are no no-talent people. In the story, Jesus describes each person as having some talent. All of you have talents. We're to use them for the betterment of the world. And last week, uh, Brandon reminded us very powerfully that if we can't receive, we can't be in relationship. Now, here's the thing about receiving. You can't be in control and receive. Somebody invites you over for dinner. You're eating what they cook for dinner. You don't have to eat all of it. But, you know, it's, it's pretty rude to be like, ah, yes, I'm here for dinner. Oh, none of that. Right? I mean, you're, you're, you have to be vulnerable and available if you want to receive. It's a very powerful thing. And, and quite frankly, that's the first thing they would teach you in missionary school, is that wherever you go, you're simply there to receive their hospitality. And if you can't receive their hospitality, they'll never give you a hearing. And so some of the more difficult pieces uh, of mission work in my life has been sitting down uh, to eat soup, having no idea what's in it, and if it might kill me. I'm allergic to a lot of stuff. But you just you trust the Lord, and you're like, well, I hope I'm here tomorrow in a few minutes. And kingdom comes. So here's the thing, friends. The difficulty is this. When we choose to take Jesus seriously, I mean really seriously, and, and by the way, in, in case you haven't caught on uh, to this or if you're new to us, the whole reason we exist, friends, there's really only one reason we exist, and that's to follow Jesus. I mean, let's just get that out front. The only reason Acts 2 exists is to follow Jesus. And if you want to, we'll help you know how to do that. It requires your participation. If, if you don't want to do that, uh, then you're going to be really frustrated here because that's all we're about is following Jesus. So when we choose to take Jesus seriously, we become involved with people we might not choose otherwise. Isn't that true? That if you were picking, you wouldn't, you wouldn't pick the people that Jesus calls you to be in relationship with. Here, what that means is whoever walks through the door, we welcome. Every person is welcome here. And we don't, choose, we don't go out and choose the people that come. God chooses the people that comes, and we love them. And we leave the results to God. That's how it works. And so as we go through this, that can be wonderful. It can be fantastic. It can also be challenging. And there are three temptations with this. If you have your sermon notes, you might follow along. Uh, This will be one of your blanks there. Particularly with your neighbor. Not true for every person you ever meet. But one of the things, particularly with your neighbors, is that if you get to know them, you can start to feel, what's that word? Responsible. Now, that's a tricky word. 
Because you're actually not responsible for your neighbor, but you are responsible to them. And we'll get into that in just a minute. So secondly then, uh, we can feel trapped because neighbors are always there. Right? So for me, it's much easier to be your pastor because I can set an appointment with you for you to come to my home or for me to go to your home or you to come to my place of work or for me to go to your place of work. When I have to engage my neighbors, they're always there. Right? And I don't want to have to move. And so there's this, there's this fear that says, well, if I really get to know the person that lives next to me and they're in their front yard and they're having a hard day, then I've got to help them. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. It depends. And, and that will actually drive us into our prayer life, which is what we need to do. We need to talk to God about all our relationships all the time. God, is this a day? Is this a time? Is this the neighbor that you want me to engage with today? Yes or no? And friends, it's not always yes. And for most of us, you really need to hear this. It's not always no. Sometimes it is yes. And then the third temptation is this. We will encounter emotionally wounded people who believe that we are the, say it with me, Savior. For some of you, if you engage your neighbor, it's happened to me, it'll happen to you if you engage with people. You will be the only person that will listen to their story. It happens. Because they've worn everybody else out with their story. Hasn't this happened to you? That you say hello to someone, and then there's like this 15-minute flood that just pours out of someone because finally someone opened the gate, and they were able to just pour it out. And that can be super uncomfortable. And just try being a pastor. Hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. You know, every time it seems like, you know. So I really don't want to talk to people. And then if they do ask me what I'm doing, I'm like, I'm a secret agent. I could kill you. And they're they're like, the, the conversation changes. It just does, right? Or they think you're the answer they've been looking for. You're the, and, and friends, this is really dangerous stuff. Particularly if you're having a hard time in your own life. Maybe your marriage is having a hard time. And you just happen to talk to somebody that thinks you're the answer to everything. You're the savior. You're the one that they've been looking for. Be careful with that. It'll blow your life up. Now, I'm not saying that you don't engage. I'm saying you're really wise when you engage. Right? Because you are not the Savior, and you are not the answer. Yes, Jesus lives in you, but you're not Him. Not yet. Right? We're to become more and more in Christ, more and more like Him. And in heaven, we're going to look a lot like Him. But we're not. I'm not. You're not. There is a Savior. We are waypoints to the Savior. We're like, here, I'm here. It sounds like, you know, we want to talk to you. You need to talk to Jesus. I need to talk to Jesus about how to help you. Together, we'll pray about that together. You're not alone, but I can't be with you 24-7. The Spirit of God can be, but I can't be. And so I'm going to ask that the Spirit would comfort you in your grief or in your concern or in your whatever it is that you're going through. But friends, none of us are the Savior. We're not called to be the Savior. We're not the answer. We're not called to be the answer. Who is the answer? Yeah, this is the easy one, friends. When you're in church and the preacher says, what's the answer? You say... Jesus. Yes, that's how that works. Right. Okay. So a different answer that's a little more complex goes like this. Boundaries define what is me and what is not me. Boundaries are what we're going to talk about today. And boundaries are super important. They help you. They help you grow. They help your neighbor. They help you live in community and help you live in relationship. Now, you've, you've heard this before probably. Uh, Robert Frost uh, at the turn of the century said this. Good fences make what? Good neighbors. Isn't that true? 
Any of y'all have your fence blow down this weekend uh, or, or ever? And if you don't know who, whose fence it is or you put up a janky fence, well, now it's a lot harder with your neighbors, isn't it? Because now you've got to pay for a new fence and those things aren't cheap. So you want a good fence because those make for good neighbors. You're on your side of the fence. I'm on my side of the fence. We can talk across the fence or through the fence perhaps. But that fence helps us make good neighbors. Now, in, in the cultural context of which uh, we chose this sermon series weeks ago, we had no idea that we would uh, be to this boundary chapter this week. But let me just say this. This isn't a cop-out, friends. You don't get to use that phrase for this situation. You just don't. That's not what Jesus says. It's not what the Bible says. Okay? Now, the question, of course, is, is this a good fence? You can debate that. People have been debating it for years, for about 20 years, 17 you know, is, is that a good fence? There are parts of it that are very helpful, parts of it are not. We have members of our church who have done border security. They will tell you it's a very tricky, complex issue. Now, if you want to know what your Bible says about this, if you actually want to know, right, and not just hop on some political bandwagon left or right, or, or some ideology, uh, which, by the way, none of them are Christian. They're their own ide- ideologies. They pick and choose parts of Jesus that they want. There's, there's no perfect political party. There's no perfect ideology. But if you want to know what Jesus says, uh, the Bible that Jesus was formed by and spoke into and actually is the word says this. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the what? Citizen. That's pretty clear. Right? That's Leviticus. Right? That's the Torah. That's the law. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's the third book in the Bible. It's been around for thousands of years. It's also in the Ten Commandments, by the way. You shall love the alien as what? Yourself. That's where Jesus gets the neighbor as yourself thing. It's from here. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You were slaves in the land of Egypt. He says, you're never supposed to forget that. He says, I am the Lord your God. The reason we treat aliens as citizens, the reason we care and love for them, is because our ancestry used to be slaves. And we're never to forget that. That, that can be us. That can be us. And so it is the wise, good, moral and right thing to do to love others as we love ourselves. And particularly the alien, Scripture says. Now, I, I want to talk to you about this um, just quickly. Uh, two and a half years ago on my 48th birthday, this little girl came up to me. I was uh, close to the border of Syria uh, in southern Turkey. And she comes up, she says, please, me and family need help. Wife and three girls, I'm supposing her dad put this together. We are from Syria. Uh, we are here because of war. We have no place to be safe. Thank you. God help you help us. And, and I, actually, I was uh, with a family in our church that serves over there full time. And uh, when she came up to me, I looked around for her parents. There weren't any parents. It was just her. And uh, she didn't speak any English, and I didn't speak any Arabic. Um, but they had figured this out, at least. And so I didn't have... Uh, any money that I thought you know would go well with her, so I went through my backpack and I found some zone bars because I'm a chicken to eat internationally, so I eat a lot of zone bars when I'm traveling, and so I was able to give her a few zone bars, and she was very happy, and she went off. And, but friends, this is like nine o'clock in the morning in a busy, busy, busy city. It'd be sort of like um, you being in L.A. or New York or any other port city town, and she just comes, and, and this is this is her reality. I would want you to know that when it comes to refugees, my experience, I'm not saying this is true for everyone, my experience is, uh, as I talked to thousands of refugees that year, and I've talked to refugees since, they, they are not changing locations because they're looking for a better health care plan. They're not changing locations because they want a new neighborhood. 
They're not changing locations because they think they're going to get, you know, a 15, 20% raise. They're refugees because they have bombs dropped on them or they have drug lords with a gun to their head and they don't think they're going to live. They don't think they're going to be alive next week if they don't move. Does this make sense to you? These are the people that I met over and over and over again. They say, well, why are you here? And they would say, well, because bombs were dropping on our, on our homes. And then um, one group, ISIS or another group, would get a hold of us. And they would say, you have three choices. You can either start fighting for us right now. Here's your AK-47. Or you can give us all your money. Um, or we'll kill you. Your choice. Your three. And so every person I met gave them all their money and kept walking. And, of course, what would happen next is they get to the next town and the bombs would begin to fall, sometimes from the same group, sometimes from a different group. And they'd go through this process again and again and again. And when I asked them what they wanted, what they really wanted, you know what they told me? To go home. I said, you don't want to go to Europe? No. You don't want to go to the U.S.? No. Where do you want to go? Home. I want to go home. But as long as they're dropping bombs on us, I can't do that. That's the story that I heard in first person over and over and over and over again. I know that's not true for everyone. There are terrible smugglers out there. There are terrible human traffickers out there. And I know there are people making bank on the misery of others. It's always been that way. And we need to be really careful with that. But if you want to know what God says, if you want to know what Jesus says, if you want to know what the early church has been taught, um, this is it. The law is this. Romans 13 has been thrown around quite a bit the last few weeks. Oh, no one anything except for what? Love. Love one another. That's it. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. All of it. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any of the commandments, they're summed up in this word. Read it with me. It's our whole sermon series. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it, friends. It is not complex, but it is hard to do. Hard to do. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. No wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love, it is the fulfilling of the law. And this is the conclusion of the argument that Paul makes in Romans 13. The early part of Romans 13 says, be sure and follow the laws of the government. And then this is the conclusion of the argument of how you do that. So our question, of course, is super hard to live out. What is the loving thing to do? What is the loving thing to do? And so make no mistake, when we love neighbor, we love all our neighbors. We love our friends who support the Border Patrol. We support those who are on Border Patrol. We support our military. We support our government. We support our neighbors. Because neighbors includes who? Everyone. Everyone. So this isn't a political issue, friends. This is a life issue that we support and love and care for everyone. Now, how do we do this? This is where it gets difficult. And we have to learn it personally first because personal transformation always precedes corporate transformation. Isn't that true? Have you ever seen any business just go, poof, we're like this without a leader? No. Personal transformation always precedes corporate transformation. So this is how you do it. Being responsible to people is healthy. Say that with me. Being responsible to people is healthy. Um, By the way, if you want to know more about this, there's an awesome book called Boundaries uh, by Cloud and Townsend. I recommend it to you. Um, Through a big old book, they'll teach you this. It's to love them, to encourage them, to bless, to pray, to help. These are good. You can do this with your neighbor. Okay? And you can do this well, and you can do this without getting trapped. Uh, or being responsible, or any of that, okay? Any questions about this? I know it's kind of an odd setting to ask, but really. I mean, this is super important. We can do this. You can do this. This is different than being responsible for 
people. That's unhealthy. Now, there's some debate about where this kicks in. Um, as we were working through it, Andy and I, uh, we, we disagreed a little bit on children. Um, I, I'm, on the, I'm, I'm more of the caveman approach. I'm responsible to you. Get out of my cave. Um, because you have to choose where that four stops. And, and for me, um, it's about nine. Um, and the reason that is, is because nine-year-olds, you can, this is actually borne out, nine-year-olds are least likely to die. They're quick, they're nimble, their bones aren't brittle. Be a nine-year-old. So, all right. So being responsible for is unhealthy. You can't be responsible for a child's happiness or someone else's. You ever take kids to Disney World? Nightmare. Because you paid some bank to get them there. And you're like, you better be happy. And they're like, I'm tired. I've been up 16 hours. Right? You, you can't be responsible for anyone's happiness. You can't. For their finances? Absolutely not. For their spiritual progress? That's up to God. For their success? There's lots of factors to that. For their failure, for their choices, for their feelings, for their consequences. None of that's yours. And, and if you think it is, you need to take a sober pill and find a counselor. Really. It'll wreck your life. You think you're responsible for someone else's happiness. Because there, there are plenty of people that tell you you are. But you're not. You're not. There's a boundary. There is moral choice. We do have the ability to choose. God allows that for every person. And it's a mess. Because some people do not choose well. And the caution is this. And, this. and this is my caution. And if you ever grew up in a home with alcohol or you grew up in a home uh, with other sort of trauma, this is really hard. Because a boundary can feel so good that it becomes rigidity. And so it works one time. And the and business world will say this, that nothing fails like success. And so you set a good boundary and you set another boundary. You set another boundary. You're like, woo, that's it. That's my boundary. I'm holding it on forever. That's dumb. That's dumb. Boundaries have to be able to move depending on the context. Because what's appropriate for a three-year-old is not appropriate for a 12-year-old is not appropriate for a 30-year-old. Right? I mean, you, if you're still treating your 30-year-old child like a three-year-old, that's a problem. That boundary needs to move. It needs to move. Right? So the biblical witness is this. That Jesus sets up an environment of healthy participation. He requires the participation of the man on the mat. Right? So the scripture that we read together is this. In Jerusalem, there was a sheep gate. There was a pool. And one man was there who had been ill for 38 years. 38 years. And when Jesus sees him lying there, and he knew that he'd been there a long time, he says to him, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, some people might find it rude, but it's really the right question. Look it. Pool's here. You're here. 38 years. Really? Do you want to be made well, or is this working for you somehow? You've figured out how to be a lame beggar. You don't really have to work. You don't have a lot of worries. Um, the money comes to you. It's not a great existence, but it works for you at some level. Do you want to be made well or not? And, of course, his answer is very telling. The, the real answer is, well, I'm afraid, and I've got lots of excuses. He says to Jesus, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. Dude, get closer to the pool. Fall in. I mean, it's, you're right there. 38 years. Does this make sense to you? I mean, by now, he should have figured this out. Get a cart, a ramp, something. Get in the pool if that's what's going to heal you. And he's like, no, 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 no. You know, when I'm making my way, it's always the victim, right? He's playing the victim. Someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus doesn't own that at all. He doesn't engage with that. He doesn't, he doesn't argue with them. He doesn't try to give him a plan. He says, you, get up, take your mat, walk. And he does. And he does in Jesus' name. That's the power of God. And there are things in your life that you've been afraid to do, maybe for 38 years, and Jesus is saying to you, get up, go, take your mat, walk. And you can. 
You can in Jesus' name. But you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do your part, and you're going to have to depend on Jesus to do his part, and that's when faith really shines, when they go together. It's not something that Jesus does for you, and it's not something you do on your own. It's something you do together. Now, Paul instructs the early church about this. Uh, In Galatians, um, if you were to go through your Bible, it's really easy to find Galatians. It's God eats pizza cold. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how you remember it. I don't know if he does eat pizza cold, but it helps me remember them. All right? So he instructs the early church like this. He says, my friends, if anyone's detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, this is important for us to know. This is not about neighbors who are not a part of your faith community. Right? The last thing we want for you to do is to go across the street and tell your atheist neighbor to mow his lawn. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is if you're in a deep, committed, intimate relationship with somebody in your faith community, you have a responsibility to them to be a mirror to them about what you see in their life. It's true for all of us. We take care that ourselves are not tempted in that moment, but we bear one another's burdens because there are time, from time to time, there are people that are just in a place where they can't do their work in that season. They need a time of healing and they need the community of faith to step in. They need you to step in. Your neighbor needs you to step in to be faithful to them. And in this way, we fulfill the law of Christ. So the, the, the takeaways are this. Take care not to be tempted and bear one another's what? Burdens. Now, I want you to memorize that word burdens because it's going to be different from another word he uses in just another verse or two. Right? So then he says this. While this is true, it's also true that everyone, everyone must test their own work. Their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. Because you don't, you don't want to get in that comparison game. It'll make you miserable. Just get on Facebook for a few hours this afternoon. You'll be terribly sad by evening. Right? Don't, don't do that. It's bad for your soul. So test your own work rather than your neighbor's. That's, what, that's the admonition of the early church. And then he says this in 6.5. Read it with me. For all must carry their own loads. That is your daily work. Right? Everybody. There's not a single person without talent. There's not a single person that can't add value to the world. In some way. And if you can't see their value yet, stay with it. Because everyone is valuable inside of God. Everyone has the imago Dei, the image of God in them. You do. Everyone else you ever meet will. So all must carry their own load. Right? Now when this gets confused, all sorts of mess happens. Now maybe you've heard of this guy. The 30-year-old deadbeat son has finally moved out of his parents' house. And just in time, he faced eviction today. Where are you headed? Uh... Michael Rotundo's mom and dad went to court to force him out. A judge ruled last week that he had to go. I'm granting the uh, eviction. Today was the court-ordered D-Day. A news crew found Rotondo packing his belongings. He also borrowed a truck from a distant cousin and moved all of his possessions to a storage facility. There were a few hiccups. After loading the truck, Rotondo's car wouldn't start. He needed a jump. Of course. First order of business, though. Finding a place to live. Dun, 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 you heard it here first. 30 years old. 30 years old. His parents, five eviction notices. They said, you need to be out in 14 days. He said, that's not enough time. They said, okay, 30 days. He said, that's, I don't have any place to go. They said, here's $1,100. You need to be out by the end of the month. He said, that's not enough time. I need six months. I need six more months. He'd already been there eight years after college. And they said, you've got to go. And finally, they had to sue him to get him out of their home. 
Really. I mean, thank God for the judge, right? Thank God for good government. It worked that time, right? He's like, no, you got, you got to go. You're 30. And, and, you, so you know where he is now? He's at the Airbnb doing odd jobs, and she wants him to go, and he's not leaving. <laughs> Boundaries, friends. It's important. It's important. So how do we do this? How do we do this? this the scriptures actually tell us this too. Jesus says this. Let your yes be what? Yes. And your no be what? No. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. That's what Jesus says. Uh, his brother James says it like this. Above all, my beloved, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be what? Yes. And your no be no. So you may not fall under condemnation. Right? So that's it. That, that's the lesson. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So um, when your child says, hey, um, can I stay here? Um, can I move home? I'm having a really hard time. You can say yes for a week. And then the week's up and they say, can I stay next week? And you say, no. That's it. It's really that simple. Yes, no. Your neighbor says, hey, can you jump my car? Yes. Can you buy me a new battery? No. That's yours to do. You see how this works? You, you don't have to feel badly about yourself or great about yourself or a savior or an answer or any of that. You just say, yes, I can do that. There's my boundary. I can do that. Or no, I can't do that. But here's, here's the trick. This is how it works out. Ask God what to do. Some of you know that from time to time I stop uh, as the Spirit leads me to help people on the side of the road. Um, folks who are begging, uh, folks who need help, and every once in a while I do that. But friends, I don't do that every time. If I did, I would be late for most of you who ever have a procedure down at OU because I know I'm going to pass three or four of those folks every time I go down. Some of you pass people in need every day on your way to work. Some of you never pass people in need, ever. It's a very different thing. And so don't, this isn't a universal teaching where you have to do this every time. It doesn't work like that. My goal for you is that you would be in a relationship with Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, where you answer to him always in all things. And sometimes he's going to say, go help that person. They really need it. And he'll say to you another time, that's not yours to do. And you, you're obedient in both. So here's the thing. Some of you in the room are going to leave here neurotic and be like, oh, I've got to help people. I'm going to help. That's not true. It's not true yet. <laughs> Could be true, but it's not true yet. Don't freak out. On the others, you have said, Years ago, and you're sticking with it, I know how to say no. It's a full sentence, no. And you live by that thinking you're in God's will. You're not. You can't say no to everybody. Jesus didn't say no to everybody. Jesus helped, healed, and changed the world by stepping into need. And we are to do the same. At God's leading. At God's leading. Amen? So you help your neighbor as you can and not as you can't. Say that with me. Help your neighbor as you can and not as you can't. I don't believe that any of us are called to go in debt for our neighbor. I don't. But I do believe every one of us are called to help our neighbor as God leads. Amen? Amen. Amen.